What's up, everybody? It's Jesse, and you are listening to a special bonus episode of Listed. Now, I want to tell you, first off, why it's a bonus episode. This is Labor Day weekend. In other words, this is the weekend where everyone does their fantasy football drafts. I love fantasy football, and a, and a podcast that I've loved for years and years is the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast from ESPN. Uh, it's also got a, it's also a TV show on ESPN, the Fantasy Show. If you've ever turned on ESPN and seen a dude wearing a T-shirt of one of your favorite bands, that is likely my guest today, Daniel Dopp, who is a co-host of the Fantasy Show on ESPN and the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. Uh, but we're not we're not doing too much football talk today. We do a little bit at the end. Uh, today we're doing a topic that me and Daniel are both very passionate about, and that is a deep dive in ranking our favorite classic albums from Tooth and Nail Records. Now, uh, this one it's it's a little inside baseball. It's 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 especially for fans of music from that era. But me and Daniel had such a blast recording it, and I thought it'd be fun to do a bonus episode this weekend. Hey, listen, I wanted to also say I really appreciate all the great feedback we've had so far. If you would be so kind to leave me a rating and review an Apple podcast, it really does help. Now, listen, I know literally every podcast asks you to do that, uh, but it really does help with, uh, you know, kind of the show getting some more exposure. Plus, I like reading it. And I promised people on Twitter that I would read a review that someone left me. I'll make that sort of a tradition in the show. This one comes from Linz McDee. Uh, Lindsay McDee said, I love knowing ep- every episode will be completely different. Hey, that's th- I appreciate that, Lens. That's kind of the idea here, is that we can we can do interesting topics with interesting guests. Uh, like I said, today's a, a little niche, and it's a little bit of inside baseball, but uh, it was really fun kind of geeking out about some some great music with, with Daniel Dopp. So uh, here it is, the bonus episode of Listed. All right, what's up, everyone? You're listening to List It with me. I'm your host, Jesse Carey. And uh, if you've listened to one of the first episodes of the show, you know how it works. Me and a guest rank our favorite things in some category of pop culture. And this is an episode that I've literally been waiting my entire adult life to record. <laughs> and the opportunity has finally materialized. And I have with me today, uh, uh, Daniel Dopp. You may know him as the host of the fantasy show on ESPN, as Secret Squirrel on the Fantasy Focus podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. Podcast and the owner of the finest collection of band T-shirts by any working TV personality, Daniel Dopp. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, buddy. I'm stoked to be here. Uh, when you asked me to come on, I, I couldn't be more excited to talk about the topic we're going to dive into today. Yeah. I also feel like I've been waiting 20 years to do this, <laughs> so like I am right there with you. So, so I'm right in the early stage of creating this podcast, and I was thinking, you know, I wanted to do like the whole vision for it is like how can you how can you capture the fun of like a listicle. Right, mm-hmm. like a debatable listicle in podcast form, and I was like, "Oh, well, we'll just we'll take turns ranking things in pop culture categories." And right at the top of my list uh, was was albums from from Tooth and Nail Records. What I consider, uh, y- you know, for the time that they were really cranking out influential albums, oh, yeah. a, a real cultural force. Daniel, what was your what was your first encounter with a Tooth and Nail album? I'm so glad that you did this because I was going to say to you, I need to have some honorable mentions because uh-huh. like, I at least need to talk about how I got into all the things I got yeah, into. Yeah, absolutely. So like, uh, 
I went to a church camp. My, my grandfather was a Wesleyan pastor his entire life. And so okay. his, uh, his church and their youth group would always come down. They lived in the upper peninsula in Michigan. They would come down into uh, the lower peninsula and they'd do a church camp. They'd bring their youth and their youth, uh, much to my grandparents' chagrin, uh, is how I found out about all of this <laughs> music that wasn't music that wasn't Southern gospel and the yeah. Gaithers and all of the stuff that like I just grew up with from my mom. And so uh, the very first tooth and nail thing I ever heard was Songs from the Penalty Box, mm-hmm. volume one. Yep. Um, and I've never loved like a sampler set. Like I have the songs from the penalty box, box records. Like they're just incredible. Like one, two, three, like it's just, it yeah. opened my eyes to the idea of like, Oh my goodness, what are all of these things that are out here? So, um, the first record that I ever listened to was like full record was reflections by unashamed. Okay. Uh, so like super early, like yeah. super hardcore. Uh, it was, it was so interesting to hear hardcore like that when I had never heard anything before. Like I had yeah. heard classic rock and I, I had heard Southern gospel. And so like that got me into this world of like, Oh my goodness, what are all these things? Like these people are, these people are like singing stuff about Jesus, but then at the same time they're like screaming and doing all this stuff. And like, that's super weird. So, yeah. uh, so like, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old Daniel was like, this is amazing. That's so yeah. amazing. And that just got me into the, uh, like that whole tooth and nail vein where like going from that, like I very quickly learned about MXPX and they yep. became the catalyst for everything that like, I, I account MXPX as like the jumping off point for everything that I love musically because yeah. I consume them in a way that, you know, uh, Poconacha and on the cover and life in general and slowly going the way of the Buffalo, like all those records, like I just lived, eat, breathed, slept MXPX because it was so good. It's something I'd never yeah. heard before. And so like, that led me into a whole bunch of other stuff that just, I like it, it never stopped from MXPX. I went into slick shoes. I'm like, yeah, that, that slick shoes EP was dope. And then rusty was like, Oh my gosh, you can play punk rock and be like this technical with it. And yeah. It's so fast. Like, Oh my goodness. So like it all sort of like jumped from there. And then like, you know, once you kind of figure out the things that make you, you musically, what it is that you love, I started to figure out like music genres and things that I liked. And it all just sort of stemmed from like that, that punk rock, like spirit filled, hardcore part yeah. of tooth and nail. So, yeah. So, so as for listeners who are, are unacquainted as they could probably pick up uh, from Daniel there, you know, tooth and nail, tooth and nail records was sort of this like vaguely uh, a religious, I mean, they, they did, there was no sort of like ethos, but the, the thing that kind of made them set apart. And I feel like led to the discovery uh, of, of their music. Like a lot of people uh, like Daniel and I, when we were young is I had a similar experience where I was just listening to, you know, I was into like, I had the samplers, like the fat record samplers, mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah. by fat Mike from, from no effects. And, and I was really into that. And I was into like skateboarding and all that at the time. And my mom took me to like a Christian bookstore and she was like, Hey, you got to pick something out from here. <laughs> and I just grabbed what I thought looked like the coolest <laughs> album cover to give it a shot. And it was, uh, MXPX and it was teenage politics. Oh, and it blew, so it, I had the same kind of revelation, like, dude, there is this whole little world that it really kind of stems from a lot of the albums released on, on tooth and nail from the early days. I mean, there were other record labels like militia group put out some great, uh, records, great later. records. uh, but, but it all kind of circled that tooth and nail universe. And that's why I thought it'd be fun to do this today because I feel like there's a lot of people like us that have such fond memories of discovering bands on oh, the label man. and then following it for years. Dan, did you ever go to cornerstone growing up? Oh yeah. I went to cornerstone three, three times, four times. Okay. 
That's that is a wild experience. Again, for for people who Cornerstone's no longer in business, but it was this. It was a music festival, but it was very unlike any other music festivals because it was run by this group called Japuza out of Chicago, Jesus People USA. And the vibe of the festival was you kind of just sleep wherever you want to sleep. You just kind of hang out, walk around. All the artists hang around with the uh, the public. It is it's sort of it, it, it's so unlike like a, a, a Lollapalooza or a Coachella. And it was it was just this. Big Big like camping trip with your favorite bands. It, it, what was your what was the best show you saw during the Cornerstone heyday? Oh man, uh, I watched. So that was the first time I ever saw Emery. Um, okay. They came out and they had uh, shirts that like spelled out their name as a part of it. Like I remember thinking that show was super dope. Yeah. Uh, even though they're not a tooth and nail band, uh, I got to see Pedro there yeah. during like the control Achilles heel kind of cycle. Um, and that was legit. I mean, Bazan is, will, is and always will be my favorite artist of all time. He's just a guy that's impacted me. Uh, and, and I've loved the idea, you know, I've taken, taken a lot from him from that standpoint, just the idea of like questioning things and theology and what you yeah. do and don't believe and, and making sure it's real for you. Um, but there was, an, there was a dead poetic was doing, a show there that was, I will never forget. Uh, it was during the new medicines record cycle and it okay. was just so intense. Um, and they, they got to a part, there's a song called glass in the trees. That's like a pretty personal, uh, uh song about, I believe Brandon is the lead singer's name uh, about someone that he knew that passed away in a car accident. And so like, I watched him like get super choked up on stage and like, he actually walked off and the guitarist, like both the guys just kind of like shrugged their shoulders and just sort of kept playing and the band didn't know what to do and yeah. came back out. And, but like, there were things where like, it was, it was so unreal to be like walking to the bathroom and you look in like Spencer from under oath is just like walking yeah. beside you doing whatever. Like that's what made Cornerstone different from like these other festivals is the bands camped the same way that you yeah, did as normal exactly. people like me without you is just chilling at a generator stage, just like playing, you know, whatever. They're just normal kids back then. And so it's like, I don't know. It was such a crazy experience being able to think about Cornerstone because it's, I think for me, that was where someone that grew up in the church, but didn't want my life defined the way that I feel like a lot of like Christianity was back then. Yeah. Like I, it, what faith was important to me and I want it to be important to me, but I don't want it to be this thing where I feel like I'm pushing people away because of it. Right. Yeah. And so like being able to see all of this music that comes in where it's like, Hey man, like this fits, like they get it. Like they understand that, th that this is one of those things that like I can feel connected with this group of people, but also not feel like I'm not a part or like cool with like the rest of these kids. And so, yeah. you know, Cornerstone was a huge thing for that for me. Yeah, and it definitely made I feel like a whole generation of young or, or young people who grew up in the church comfortable living in some degree of tension yes, between between exactly. what they what, what they were taught to believe and what their faith actually kind of looked like. And yeah. a lot of these bands kind of put voice to that tension. Yes, and and, and they were also just great as as we're going to play some clips we'll put in post uh uh as we're talking to the list as people will see if this is their first introduction i hope it's not their first introduction to the great albums of tooth and nail records but in addition to really kind of tapping into like i said that this kind of weird tension that a lot of people who grew up a certain way were experiencing yeah. and making people feel comfortable asking questions and finding community they're also just great music right at the forefront of when i feel like not just was like pop punk kind of blowing up in the culture at the time, yeah. uh, but it was really kind of the early days of, you know, uh, some of these, uh, you know, kind of like emo artists breaking through. It was just a great time for indie rock in general. And yeah. some of these bands were right on the forefront of it. 
Well, it, I think it was great because it took st- stuff from a faith-based perspective and it showed you that, like, at least for me, like, this doesn't sound like Christian music. And I don't yeah. want to be like rude towards the Christian music industry, but like it's, it was and has been terrible for a long time. It's yeah. always just been behind everybody else. And so the idea that not like just straight up pushing it down your throat, but it's like, hey, man, these songs are written from a faith-based perspective. And you can take from it whatever you want because the music is great and you don't have to believe the things that are in here. And it's also for the most part, like not just like cramming it down your throat, but you know, we're just like positive people, like positive, like posi core, like all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just, I don't know. I love all that. So anyways. All right. So, so here's how, here's how it works. Okay. So we both have selected seven albums that are our favorite from Tooth & Nail Records. Uh, So here's how it worked, Daniel. We're going to go through your list uh, for seven through one. And if there are any that you mentioned that are on my list, I'll tell people where that number is and we'll kind of break them down. Once you go through your list, assuming we don't have the exact same choices, I'll, I'll list a couple more. Uh, I'm very excited. And okay. So a few years ago, I used to do a lot of, I, and I don't do as much writing as I used to, but I did a, I did a listicle ranking a lot of these bands and, uh, you know, it, 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 I got more intense feedback from both sides of the court on that list oh, sure. than, than uh, almost anything I've written. So I'm sure there'll be some friendly debate here, but Daniel, let's go ahead and dive right in. What is your number seven favorite Tooth & Nail album of all time? Okay, my number seven favorite Tooth & Nail record of all time, and this is going to maybe be a little bit surprising because it's a newer record. It is going to be Exora by oh, Copeland. Yes. So I loved this record. First off, I was a huge Copeland fan. Yeah. They were not on Tooth & Nail younger. They were on the Militia Group. Uh, but they signed with Tooth and Nail. And what I love about Exora, first off, I just have some amazing memories like in my personal life. Like it, it just tied to me the way that, that I needed at that time. And it's funny because like I actually like Copeland more as like a kind of emo band than I yeah. liked as like this synthy kind of, you know, whatever you want to describe this as. But this record is incredible because the twin record that they put out, Aaron Marsh did a whole second record that you can play in quadraphonic stereo in conjunction with this twin record. So you have, he had to write two different songs of the same song. And then when you play it in your headphones, the spatial, it's just the idea of so much effort and work going into something to create those songs was as an, as an artist, I wish it had gotten more run and more publicity because I cannot imagine the monumental task of writing a song and then writing another song. That's the same song to accompany it. And all these different ways where it's like the mix doesn't sit on top of each other and the vocals, you know, fit and play over here. Like it's, that was definitely, it was really hard. There, there's so many that I left off the list and I was trying to figure out where to start, but that record is, is a huge record for me. So that's where I'm going to start at number seven. I, I love that choice. And I had, I, I was really conflicted because I love that album too. And I love, but but like you said, I think for me, the most impactful Copeland album was was a prior to, prior to Tooth and Nail when they were a militia group yep. was Beneath the Medicine Tree. And so yeah, good. And ever since, that's one of those albums when you first hear it, you know this is a band that you're going to spend a lot of time with over the course of your lifetime. They just write very delicate music. I don't know another adjective to describe it. I mean, it's, 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 like you said, it's so, the degree of thought that goes into the lyrics to the production, it, it really is unbelievable. It, that's an app, that's a killer album. And if people still get, if people get a chance to see post COVID Copeland live, it is a crazy good live show. They're so good. I saw this Exora record uh, at Brighton Music Hall in Boston uh, before all this stuff went down. And to be able to watch them do this and then also throw in like a bunch of old stuff was just, yeah. I mean, Beneath Medicine Tree was, was a killer record, but yeah. You know, yeah, not a tooth and nail record, but also so good. So anyways, definitely check out Exora if you, if, uh, for those listening, if you haven't heard it. 
So Copeland's Exora number seven. What is your number six favorite? All right. Uh, for me, number six on this list is Under Oath, They're Only Chasing Safety. All right. Uh, Arguably the most popular tooth and nail album of all, you know, in terms of like crossover success. That was a huge one. Huge record. I remember listening to that uh, back home in Michigan where I grew up and hearing this thing where I had never really listened to like hardcore like that before or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Like it was just a different thing. Um, and like a boy brushed in red and it's dangerous business walking out your front door and the end of that record. Like, so you go through this whole like big, like heavy, super, like it's so good and fun. And then you get to the end of this record and it's some will seek forgiveness while there's escape with Aaron Marsh from Copeland. And I remember that song coming on and like when it comes in and it hits big, it just like, Oh my goodness. It felt like it like ripped my chest open. It was like, this is, this is it. Yeah. This is like that intersection of like, you can have the heavy and you can have the not heavy and you can bring them together. And like, what a, what an amazing record to be able to write. And, and, and cool. It was also cool because that an interesting moment culturally where mm-hmm. they're a band that I saw on, I want to say I saw them on Cornerstone and Warp Tour the same summer. You know, they were, they were kind of just blowing up. Like I said, that's argue. I was talking to a guy from Tooth and Nail Records back in the day about how at the time they really t- elevated the, the record label to the next level, you know, just by means of recognition because that mm-hmm. album was everywhere. Have you followed, have you listened to any kind of Aaron Gillespie's post, uh, uh, uh under oath stuff? I listened. So I listened to the almost for a little while. Um, I really liked Southern weather. I thought that was a good record. Um, but it wasn't like none of the stuff that he's done post then. It's not that I don't like it. I just yeah. like the the under oath stuff a little bit more. Yeah, um, they, they really captured kind of lightning in a bottle with. They really did, and I know? love. So I got I was I got to meet those guys a, a little while ago, um, and they were all super sweet, like really good dudes. Like every yeah. time I've seen them, like at a show, like they're just. I feel like they crush it. Timmy is one of like the best guitar players I've ever seen. Like technically, and how like on point he is. Like his yeah. writing style. Is just incredible. Like him and Aaron both. Like the ability for Aaron to be able to sing and play drums like that also is just unreal. Yeah. Um, also, let's just talk about Aaron Gillespie's career for a second to go from like Under Oath to then doing the Almosts, which mm-hmm. he fronted, to then playing drums in Paramore yeah. for like for however long he did. Like the guy is just great at everything he touches, I feel like. He's just yeah. one of those people. And I'm, I know he's put in like hours and hours and hours of work, but it's... He just feels like he's so good at everything. Yeah, and and like I, like you were saying, there's no egos with those guys. You know, no. like anytime yeah. that's if you get to meet them after a show or, or kind of wherever, they're they're just great dudes. They, mm-hmm. That whole that whole group. Oh, 
Oh, so I'm a little nervous because both of those were in consideration, but n- neither of those cracked my top seven. And I should oh, wow. say this: this doesn't necessarily mean these are the best. These are there's a lot of no. personal uh, uh, favorites yeah. that go in here, and it's hard to rank stuff uh, based on you know quality. But okay, so two very strong choices, two that were on my list. All right, what is your number five favorite? Number team? five. I'm gonna switch it up. I'm gonna go a little different here. Uh, this one is. Oh, you know what? Apparently, I didn't pull this record out. Sorry, I've been holding up records for all the, I, I know uh, all the he, ones that I have. D- Daniel not only ranked them, he has the vinyl on hand. To, I have to, this I have this in, in my thing. Apparently, I didn't pull it out. Uh, but number number five here is Craig's brother, Lost at Sea. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad you picked that because I was... That is my honorable mention. Um, because okay, when, that, when, when that record came out, I was also listening to a band called Dogwood. Do you remember Dogwood? Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, Dogwood's... Great. They, great. They, they sort of had this like it was almost like skate punk you know mm-hmm. it was it was so fast so technical like i can still hear some of those like riffs in my head you know uh like in lonely girl where oh. it starts off with the acoustic and they they just That's buzzed so out guitars tell me a little bit about your experience with with craig's brother so i loved being able to hear that first record and how they felt just like a punk band but like there were times within that punk band where like they kind of like just like stretched their like feelers out to be like, Hey, we're going to like kind of explore a different area of music too, a little yeah. bit with this. And so like when lost at sea came out, I felt like they were just more refined. They figured out a way to be able to like polish and put all of that energy towards something. And this record, uh, like lost at sea is one of those records that when you, for me, when I listen to it, it's like, it's fast songs, it's slow songs, but at the bottom of everything, I think Ted does an incredible job with the lyrics. Like I think as yeah. a lyricist, he wrote some really, amazing songs that that hit home super hard for me uh and so being able to listen to that they are again they're one of those punk bands that like i like you listen to them and then you hear the studio record and it's like man these guys are so good yeah like to go from doing this to doing this like one massive shout and i don't i should know this i I don't but like massive shout to aaron sprinkle for like doing so many of these like tooth and nail records and probably helping a lot of these bands get better over the course of their careers and and everything what they were able to do in the studio but um that record really hit me hard at a time where it was like i was kind of going a little bit more um like emo screamo indie rock kind of a thing and they kind of bridged a gap for me in that world between that punk rock and like moving into like songs just don't have to be like fast and hard and, and blast yeah. beats and stuff like that. So I, I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Sprinkle because there, there would be no tooth and nail catalog without Aaron Sprinkle oh my gosh. who, who no in way. addition to being a, you know, a musician himself is an incredible producer. This is, this is not to name drop, but years ago when, uh, when I was still relevant, we, we did uh, a cover story, father, John Misty. Have you followed father John Misty at all? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, this was shortly after he was playing, he played SNL and had a, had a big kind of acclaimed record, but we were talking about his background and he grew up sort of the same way, was into all the tooth and nail stuff. Actually, like, I think he lived in Aaron Sprinkle's basement for a while no and way. like did like studio drum work for Demon Hunter back in the day. Like, no Aaron, way. Aaron Sprinkle knows everybody, including Father John Misty, who even That's has so some contributions <laughs> to this world. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm so glad you brought Craig's brother up because they were one I was really on the fence about. And I'll, I'll get into why they didn't crack my top seven, but sure. a, a fantastic album. And that album brings me back to that. Like, oh, yeah. there, it has that, that kind of late 90s, early aughts punk rock sound that wasn't what you would hear you know, necessarily from like Blink-182 on the radio. It had the, the technicality that really kind of... I feel like it rivaled a lot of like the Epitaph bands. Like It was uh-huh. sort of like Pennywise or those kind of speed punk bands. What yep. Craig's brother was doing 
had that appeal, but it was just technical. And like you said, a really thoughtful lyrics. I'll say this too. And I'm curious if you're one of these people too. Uh, I'm sort of just weird. So maybe that's what it is. But like when I go to places, a lot of times I'll try to like listen to records of bands that are like from there. So like yeah. a couple of times, like I've been um, with work, uh, I've been lucky enough to like travel a fair amount with ESPN. And so like when I've gone out to like LA or San Diego or the West coast, like I'll put on like Craig's brother and like drive the Pacific coast highway and just be like, I don't know. Like I imagine, I try to imagine like, this is where this music came from. Like yeah. that yellow card record or like, uh, you know, trying to find like bands that are like in that area. It's just, it's cool to be able to be like, you know, this is the inspiration for like these people's lives and their music like came from around here. So I don't know. I try to like soak it up. I guess it's like a nerdy dumb thing, but it's just, it's fun. I guess I'm a fool. There was another band. It wasn't today. It might have been Militia Group or, or Betty Rocket, I think was the record label. It was called Sick of Change. Yeah. Um, and they were another Southern California uh, punk, kind of skate punk band. But they had that same kind of vibe. Very technical, yeah. very cool. Uh, it, yeah. You know, uh, especially in guitar. All right. Number are we are we're, I think we're already number four. I think we're going to start seeing some crossover as we get to the top here. What is your number four? Uh, so this top four is so hard for me. I just want to state that in part because... I have bands that I like multiple records of and I decided, and I'm just going to state this now, I wanted to only showcase one record from the band rather than say I like two of them back to back so that I could get okay. more bands and more records in yeah. there. So I just yeah. want to say that right now, okay? Okay. Uh, number four, and this is so hard for me, was a monumental record in my life that changed the way that I uh, looked at, at music and hardcore was Son, I Loved You at Your Darkest by As Cities Burn. Yes. Uh, this record, when I heard Son, I Loved You at Your Darkest, it was one of those, it was one of those moments where I feel like I kind of had to pause to be like, I think I feel something here. Yeah. Like, I think, yeah. I, I think this is like doing a thing for me. And it was so... Like, Cody is such a monster on the guitar. Like, yeah. listening to his licks and his riffs and all the moving guitar work. And that was one of the big... You'll notice that with this entire top four. Like, it, it, it was a point where coming out of punk rock for me where I realized that, like, you could still have that passion and that energy and that mm -hmm. drive. And rather than just playing, you know, four power chords, which there's nothing wrong with, uh, you channel that into, like, you know, multiple moving guitar lines and all the, these swells and dynamics and all this stuff. And so... Uh, ACB with Sun I Loved You at Your Darkest was absolutely number one on that list for me for a long, long time. The Widow. So they have a, they have a cornerstone version of The Widow that oh, you can cool. watch on YouTube that is just unreal. Being able to listen to Aaron sing it with like the crowd at Cornerstone. Like it is, it is phenomenal. So that record just like, it hits me in so many places because it was written from a place where it was just like, I, I'm feeling this. Like I'm trying yeah. to figure out where I'm at. I'm trying to figure out the things that I am, who I am as a person in like my late teens, early twenties. And like this music was like the soundtrack yeah. of a lot of my late night drives from Midland, Michigan, where I grew up to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I was going to school. Uh, and I would always go see shows in GR. So like ACB was like on that list. Also come now sleep. 
totally like I wanted to find a way to be able to make that record yeah. way different than than Son I Loved You at Your Darkest. Totally change, big, huge change uh, with uh, TJ deciding not to to be on that record, but also just a monumental record. Cody put in so much work for that. So yeah. that's number and, four for me. And I I love that city's burn because there was like you said there was an element of like drama to the music uh-huh. that really did kind of pull you in, and it had it it. You know, for people, we'll, we'll play a clip so people can hear it. But I feel like for people who haven't, uh, th- th- it's hard to come up with like a comp right now of a band that has that sort of intensity, you know, because they are a very intense band, but also these mm-hmm. levels of kind of sensitivity and thoughtfulness that you'll find. It's a crazy great listening experience and also a really fun band to see live. They're worth traveling to go see, you know? So fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're we're coming down to the top three, and uh, we, we've covered a lot of ground, covered a lot of uh, of, of you know everywhere from C- Copeland to to Under Oath. Yep. You know, I'm excited now. Now it's when it gets really hard. What is what is your number three choice? All right, number three. Um, I found this band. Uh, my best friend did not like this band at all, and him and I shared everything, like tooth and nail related. Like we, he's the one that got me into so many tooth and nail bands, and like I learned a lot from him. Um, you know, he helped me do that. But this band was not one that he enjoyed, and okay. it was a completely independent on my own. Uh, and they've become. Uh, I've, I feel very lucky they've become like good friends of mine. Uh, and so being able to to listen back to this music and, and think about it, but it's got to be Emery, The Week's End. Uh, I remember listening to this record. And the first time I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, they've got two different, like two different singers and they've got all these moving guitar lines yeah. and it's these stops and starts. And there's like either key changes or tempo changes or all these things that I'm like, you can't, you can't do this. These yeah. are, you're not allowed to do these things in music. And yet yeah. here they are, they're doing them. They go from like, what, you know, whatever, whatever tempo they're in to a, a second tempo, the whole song stops and there's a new, like it was, it, it was amazing being able to listen to uh, Emery at Cornerstone live after I had I had seen this. That was the first time that I was ever able to see them, and to see them put on a, a show. Josh, their keyboardist, is just like so much fun to watch live. Yeah. I mean, they're all they're all a blast, but like being able to watch Josh, he's just like a vibe master. And uh, so, anyways, I have so many great memories with with the week's end. And I would say to you, uh, to be very clear, I would probably say this, and I feel bad saying this, like no. Sun I Love Your Darkest, I think, ranks higher on that list for me. Mm-hmm. But because um, I've been lucky enough to to be able to spend some time with the guys and um, and whatnot, like the the relationship that I have with them and like the memories that I've I've made around that record and and those guys and just hanging out, it just pushes them up. The thing, like, I'll never forget like the times I've had with them. I'll never forget like listening to this record and all that. So it's easily just like a top three, like nostalgic like important. I could put it on right now. I wouldn't skip a single song. All these top four records, I wouldn't skip a single song. Most of these records, I wouldn't skip any yeah. songs on. But uh, so anyways, 
and, and they've also had a very cool uh I, I don't even say post because they're still making music, but you know, kind of their their later stages career getting into podcasting with Bad Christian. Yep. It, it, you know, they, they not only put music to a lot of the tension that we we're talking about, but uh-huh. if people are are kind of, you know, can relate to the things Daniel and I were talking about, I would definitely t- you know recommend they check out that podcast. Have you are you a bad Christian listener? I am. Yeah. I love the bad Christian dudes. Like they're um being able to to listen to them and the whole point of everything and not to turn it into like this religious thing, but like it's the idea of like as a Christian or from a faith-based perspective, it's like there's a lot of hypocrisy that we see everywhere. And it's really difficult for me when I see uh, people throughout the world or people that are supposed to be living their life one way. And it's like, hey man, guess what? We all mess up. We all make mistakes. The difference is, let's just be honest about it. Let's not try and hide it. Let's not be hypocritical. Let's not go out and and try and be this person that we're not. Like, let's just be honest and say, hey, here's the thing I'm struggling with. And everyone else does. And it's just, it's about normalizing stuff, man. Like we all go through things and, and let's not make everyone feel like they're terrible human beings. We all struggle with things. So like, let's go, like, I don't know. Yeah, there, It's such like a, a positive perspective of like, let's just be real. Like end of day, like let's just be real with each other. Yeah. So. It, it, and, and it is so refreshing to see the, to see how those guys can articulate that because, yeah. because ultimately, again, I, I, again, not to dive too much into, you know, late nineties evangelicalism, but there was this very, <laughs> you know, one of the threads is there was a lot of pressure, whether, whether it was like purity or even they didn't want people to like cuss or drink mm-hmm. or anything to, of these like standards of perfection that were just completely unobtainable. Um, and to see people kind of articulate, Hey man, you know, perfection really isn't the goal here. You know, it is, it's, you know, it's so much more than just observing certain kind of sometimes arbitrary moral standards. And those guys have done a great job expressing that in their music and their pods. And I think that's a thing with all of these bands is it, is it, and I realize, you know, it maybe sounds stupid to say, but like as a kid growing up in that society and in that world, like there's so much pressure because that's all that, you know, like I didn't, I didn't have perspective outside of that. Right. So Um, you know, there is, there was always so much pressure to like be this person and to be this good, you know, whatever, and, uh, and, uh, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, these bands gave you like that outlet to be like, Hey, I'm allowed to question stuff. Yeah. I'm allowed to like, talk about like, Hey, these are things that I'm struggling with, or this is whatever. And like, it li- literally was just like a gateway into like my headspace and into my heart and trying to be like, Hey, there's other people that get this. And so yeah. like, they, they did a lot. I don't want to say like these guys, you know, saved my life in, in any one specific way, any of these artists, but like they monumentally impacted my life in a way that helped me become the person I am while dealing with what I feel like the pressures of evangelicalism were in the late 90s and early 2000s and trying to figure out what that landmine of religiosity was. Yeah. So, it, Yeah. It, and it, the other thing, it's interesting to see how far reaching the impact of a lot of these bands were on artists who are making music today. You know, yeah. I, I got to... There was like a five or six year stint where I did media at, at like backstage at Palooza. So you get to hang out with a lot of the artists. And when you get to chit chat and you realize how many of them not only have like connections, like mm-hmm. like I was talking about with Father John Missy, but how many of them were like, dude, you know, that Emory record or, uh, you know, it was, I was talking to like, do you know Noah Gunderson at oh, all? Oh, yeah. Yep. But like he, you know, he kind of grew up listening to a lot of the, this type of music. And there's even artists now, there's a band, uh, Laney, uh, who's like a, a, a three piece out of LA that does kind of synth pop. Um, okay. And, you know, I was talking with some guys and they're like, you know, their drummer used to play drums for like jars of clay. 
that like used to be like no your door way. Jar. yeah and you oh, realize like uh and there's another band colony house that i saw and it's like yep. stephen curtis chapman's son is the lead you know oh no way i did not yeah. realize that yeah oh so, that's funny so you kind of realize like not just the, the to the no world but that world there's a lot of people who, who came out on the other side better for it you know so i had a conversation we'll talk about them even though they're on this list in a second but i had a conversation with uh andy hall and all the dudes from manchester yeah. uh because they grew up like in the same way. And so, uh, but we were talking last time that I, I saw them, we were talking about Stephen Curtis Chapman and Jeff Moore in the distance yeah. and like audio adrenaline and the newsboys. And it's like all of this, like late nineties, like Christian pop <laughs> rock, whatever that like we all grew up with. And then tooth and nail came along and yeah. we were like, finally, yeah. here's what it is. We were waiting for no offense, audio adrenaline, but it wasn't <laughs> you. I like, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. So, all right. I, I was expect. I thought that the Emory, I thought Emory might've been your number one because I, I see, I feel like they're the shirt I see he- most heavy in your rotation. Man, later. I love those guys. Like that's, so this is the thing. I love being able to wear band shirts. I, I feel very lucky that I just, I just feel like a kid from Michigan that got lucky enough to like work at ESPN and like things yeah. have been, I've been very blessed with the way that the way that things work out. So to be able to wear t-shirts on TV as a part of my job yeah, and to be able to have those t-shirts be bands that I love, like even if it, like whatever, if two people see it and it's like, oh yeah, you know what? I love that. I'm going to go put that record on or, or you know what? I'm going to go check them out next time they're in, around on tour. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's so much fun. How often, how often do you get like DM'd by a member of a band that was like, hey dude, that was rad that you rocked the shirt on, on, on ESPN? Uh, most all of the bands that I have worn shirts of, I have either talked to or they have DM'd me and like, it's been a, it's, it's just cool. I don't know. Yeah. Like I love music. And so it's like a platform. I feel lucky. And that, that from that standpoint, like it's a way that I can help promote people and music yeah. that I like. And at the same time, like those people in music, like then a relationship forms and like, this is the industry for everything, right? Yeah. Like, Hey man, I, I wore an Emory shirt for whatever. And, and then like, you hear another band or I talk to another, it's like, Hey, I saw you were wearing this. Like, you know, do you want to, like, we're going to, do you mind if I give you a shirt? And, and if you want to wear it, you can, if you don't want to, it's no big deal. And then it's just like, everyone sort of knows everybody. And then it's just, you know, it's like a community. So yeah. it's, I love being able to do it. Like it's a, it's cool being able to be that guy at work. No offense to everyone else that has to wear a suit and tie, like Phil Jates or, or Matthew Berry. Uh, they do other things way better than I do, but I, I, I'm very happy with the yeah. way that I get to be. All right, so we're we're down to the top two, and I know you probably were were conflicted with with these top two spots, but let let's let's uh, ease in here. What is your number two favorite? I changed Bella? this. Okay. I want you to know, I for my entire life, I have had my number one. Uh, and I, when we talked about this, I sat down and I just had to think. I thought to myself, like, if I'm going to sit down right now, and I'm going to listen to one record, and it's the last record I ever get to listen to before I never get to hear music ever again. What is it that I would want to put on from the tooth and nail catalog? And I decided to move my number one down to number two. Okay. And I don't want that to be at all a reflection of how amazing this record is. No, I gotcha. But uh, it is further seems forever. The moon is down. Um, That that, was my number one record. That was my, that's my number three. That's your number three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They were the first band. That was the first record that I had heard. Um, coming into all of these bands where I've talked about like moving guitar lines or how music has changed. Uh, the Moon is Down was the first record I heard like coming out of that like MXPX Slick Shoes phase where yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? Yeah. Like it's not fast, but I still feel this thing inside of me that I don't know how to explain. 
Uh, later, I found out that thing was just everything that Chris Caraba did. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but from that standpoint, like those guitar lines and the way that everything worked, like those songs were so beautifully crafted. Like the yeah. way that record started out, Snowbirds and Townies was just like such a killer song. Oh my gosh, it was so good. New Year's Project crushes me every single time. Just Until Sundown, I think was my favorite song off of that record. Like it was just... That that song and those guitars and that tone is just beautiful. And, and wearing thin, they have some oh. real like, uh, you know, it further seems forever the moon is now. Like I said, is is my number three, and I'm glad it it, it found it, its way on your list. I remember it was the same kind of discovery. It, it, one, the album art for this is really cool and so really distinctive. Good. It's sort of these like aviation sunset shots, but it's all this pink color hue, and mm-hmm. it really stands out. Like, oh, I kind of want to check this out. Is and it really pink? Yeah, I thought it was it, purple. I'm colorblind, so that's probably uh, why I thought it's purple. It, it, yeah, my whole it's life. like a pinkish purple. Yeah, it, okay. it's it's All kind right. of in the middle, but <laughs> okay. it, but it was it wasn't what you'd expect from like a Tooth and Nail album. No, you know, like this kind of uh, you know ethereal color. And then it came out in 2001, right before Chris Caraba left to go pursue Dashboard Confessional, which he's still making. Both of these you know artists are still making incredible music. Yep. But I, but I I had discovered Moon is Down before I'd really gotten into Dashboard, and so when Dashboard came around. It was like, oh, this is sort of like just acoustic further seems forever. Uh, and, and the other thing is like they are such a... And you see this with a lot of Chris Carabas music, but very, again, technically proficient. I, I, was oh, yeah. doing, I was doing some research before and I found this fun fact about their drummer, uh, Steve Kalish. He is also a world record holder for the classic arcade game Mario Brothers and has scored 5 million points. So what a career that for that guy too. I love Steve. So Steve and I are buddies. He plays DFS uh, a fair amount. He's a big fantasy football DFS guy. Uh, They came through... I brought them through ESPN last year or two two years ago uh, when they were doing the How to Start a Fire tour with Jason. They had got back together to be able to do that. Um, And they are the sweetest men I have ever met in my entire life. I just want to like hug all of them and be (laughs) their best friend. Uh, they're such sweet, beautiful dudes. Billy Power, uh, who worked at Tooth and Nail for a long time, um, in the mailroom and did a bunch of stuff for them. He sent me a few things of, uh, the Chad Neptune, who's their bass player. Yeah. Uh, had sent them like letters of like, Hey Billy, just wanted to send you a couple of songs off the upcoming, whatever. And it's just like a tape and it's like, you know, a handwritten letter and stuff like that. And so like the history of this record and how it got made and almost didn't get made or at yeah. least released is a really awesome, incredible history. If you can find, I think the labeled podcast, uh, which is the Tooth and Nail podcast, yeah. did like a big, a big thing on like how that record almost didn't come out and how it was finally able to see the light of day and how much effort like went into everybody by the behind the behind the scenes because Chris was leaving Further Seems Forever to go pursue Dashboard, but Further still had a bunch of records on their on their deal and stuff. So, anyways. It's just it's a it's just a beautiful yeah. record, man. It, well, and how to start a fire is a great record too. It's, it's oh, it's it, incredible. I it, it, you know the the vibe. I feel like that was sort of had like Amber Lynn type of you know power ballady mm-hmm. moments, but it still worked. I remember I remember when they were on that tour, the original tour for that record, seeing it. Yeah, I saw uh, I, the show. Uh, there's a show I will never forget. I saw him in Detroit. Um, I believe it was at St Andrews Hall, but I, I don't totally remember. Maybe it was Clutch Cargos. It was it was 
Further Seems Forever, the Juliana Theory, and the Ataris. Mm. So uh, that was the How to Start a Fire tour, being able to listen to like and see Jason Gleason. Like that kid had an incredible voice, still does. Yeah. Yeah. But like when he came in, I was like, I don't know. Like Chris was really dope. And then like yeah. I heard it and I was like, all right, well, this guy's pretty good too. And he was, he's, and he's just a great front man. You yeah. Know? Like he was the, really good. The way he commands the stage. And that's where I kind of see, you know, some similarities with him and uh, Stephen Christian from Amberlin, how they yeah. can just step on stage and you're like, okay, this guy's something special. You know? Yeah. And it was cool seeing Steve. He was the first left-handed drummer that I had like ever really like noticed. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I remember seeing him the first time playing. I'm like, this is what's weird. And I, I like, I, I very specifically remember saying to my friend in between songs, I'm like, why does the drummer look weird to me? And he was like, he's left-handed. <laughs> and then I, and then I was like, oh yeah. All right. Well, that's okay. I'm stupid. All right. Well, moment of truth. Like I said, I, I do have Moon is Down as my number three. And uh, this is this is big. Now, there's I feel like there's a lot of pressure out there. A lot of this people is impossible. Are, it is impossible. This but, is impossible. But I'm very eager to see what the number one overall choice, your all-time favorite. Uh, all-time favorite. All-time favorite. Um, I felt like for me, this record is a record that should have gotten so much more publicity than it should have. I know so many people that were massively influenced by this band uh, and the records that they wrote. And for me, it is 238, You Should Be Living. Mm. And it's tough because I wanted to put Regulate the Chemicals on there. Like, it's a 1A, 1B. I can't, yeah. like, this is that thing where I can't pick them because they're both so unbelievable. But 238 yeah. is a band, like, this jazzy, like, emo, indie rock, like, influence of whatever. Like, it all culminated in this way that, like, Man, Chris Staples and yeah. Kevin, like they were just incredible songwriters together as kids. Like they were so young writing these records and the moving guitar lines and the way that they were able to build dissonance into their music and find all of these like different paths into like, I can get into like this sort of like jazzy kind of yeah. vibe here, but not feel like I've, I've gone so far down that path that like I'm no longer into it, but it's just like, Ooh, yeah. ooh that feels good. Like I yeah. like that. Yeah. So, uh, I love Chris Staples. I, I, I have, I like, I, I've been able to do a bunch of stuff with Chris Staples. Um, and he actually, in part, the reason why this record is my number one is because I was able to, I put on a house show for him when I lived in Baltimore, when I was still in the air force, uh, him and Tim Vary, the drummer of Manchester orchestra. And because of that, like Tim and I stayed in touch, same with Tim, uh, sorry, Chris and I stayed in touch. And, um, like I have met all of the, connections that I have to my tooth and nail world because of Chris Staples and that house show that I put on, like it all just sort of went from there. And so um, not only do I think that record should have gotten way more run than it should have the Manchester dudes, like Andy Hall has talked to me uh, like all the time. We talk about like how great 238 was. Yeah. Uh, Tim from under oath has talked about like how great 238 was and how great Chris's stuff with discover America was. I know for a fact, all the Emory dudes, like when they were writing the week's end, like that, this, those, both of these 238 records were massive influence in their lives. Like these records that I love that are on my list were influenced by this record. Yeah. So it's just yeah. like, you know, they, it should have gotten, I wish it had gotten so much more run because musically it is one of my favorite things that I've ever listened to ever, ever, ever. 
And I have 230. I actually have reg- regulate the chemicals. At All right, good. I'm glad that you got yeah. that one. So yeah. I'll take- okay, and, and it was the same way. It was so hard to, to, to make the distinction. And I think regulate the chemicals, I obviously it came out before. So I, I had spent more time with it by the time, sure. uh, you know, they'd put out more music. And it's one of those albums where I remember the first time I heard it. I remember seeing them play it live. And, and Chris Staples at the time, uh, you know, when I saw him, they were, they were touring and, he was he was like into the persona of Chris Staples on stage, which is if if you ever watch him live, he is this very just interesting character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then when you when you listen to, I feel like lyrically, Chris Staples is probably the most talented lyricist on. Uh, I don't want to say most talented, most distinctive than than maybe on the on the list or even on the label, just because of the uh, the approach that he kind of backs his way into some themes and you know on that on uh, you know on both albums kind of really dissecting sort of like the american dream and and yep. you know kind of the the you know consequences of just being too involved in uh you know sedating yourself with culture you know there's just a lot of ideas he's unpacking and discover america uh their so album good. it's it's the only album i've heard with like a really banging kazoo part (laughs) so good right Uh, yeah (laughs) oh man they had some and so like chris's stuff with discover america he has a song called um is it future path no force of proper wind uh that i just love like everything that chris staples does um i think i think what he did with with 238 was unbelievable i loved having that i really like a lot of chris's solo stuff too he's put out some stuff on barsook i actually helped him release American Soft before I got picked up by Barsook. Um, oh, wow. I did I did the vinyl release for that. And so um I like I love Chris. Again, it's just another yeah. one of those guys where like I've I've been able, I've been very lucky. And I hate it when people say this thing and we talk about I used to say it and now I've realized that like I, I'm trying to be better about it. But like when when I was 17 years old, being able to like listen to these bands and all that, like I I was so massively influenced by them and the things that they did positively for my life was just unreal. And the chance that like as a, as an adult I've been able to like meet some of these guys and like forge relationships with them. And it's just, it's such a cool thing for me because it's like, you know, don't be a fanboy, but also like, dude, you're massively influential in my life. Yeah. Like I love you as a friend. I love you for what you've brought into my, into my life for your music and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, man, Chris is, Chris is dope. This, yeah. It's so good. There are so many other records. Like I wanted to put failure on by beloved on there. I couldn't, like, I didn't know where to put it. Yeah. I actually really love Tyson Watsonbacher. He's one of the new tooth and tooth and nail yeah. artists. Um, so like like I wanted to find a way for Tyson. He has a song uh, off of his first record that's just in your name is a song that like man grab a box of tissues and understand like where that song's coming from and like it'll it'll hit you hard. But 
Um, so anyways, those are my top seven. I wanted right. to fit more in there. I'm, yeah. I hate you for making me choose seven, <laughs> uh, but I want to know where you're at. So I okay. can pick you uh, I'm glad now. we had two, two crossovers right there at the top of the list. Um, okay. So my number seven, and I have a little personal bias because I grew up with a lot of these guys and kind of saw their evolution. Uh, there was a band, they were in a band early on called Sky's the Limit, which was a band here in, in my hometown of like the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. Uh, but they went on to kind of evolve and turn into May. Yep. And so I had followed them uh, for a long time. And uh, my number seven is May's uh, Everglow. And the, the reason I put this, uh, you know, I wanted to include it on the list is because I feel like it was, it's a concept album, you know, mm -hmm. like you can kind of follow along with the artwork and there, it, it tells this bigger story. They were really pushing the limits of what I think the expectations for like a tooth and nail band was. You know, it, there's certainly some heavy pop leanings. There's a piano ballad. Uh, there's like interludes. It's just a really cool, interesting album. And I feel like it's held up really well. I feel like you mm -hmm. can still put on Everglow and there are people who are like, oh man, I remember hearing this. It's sort of, and they also, it landed them a tour with the Foo Fighters, which was cool. I, th I remember being like, oh gosh, you get to tour with Dave Grohl. That is so dope freaking is that? cool. <laughs> yeah. What was your experience with, with, uh, with May? Uh, I really loved, so I, I remember buying that record with my little brother. I remember getting in the Acura, like, I don't know, it was 1997 Acura that I had. Yeah. And my little brother and I opened it up. I put the CD in and it, and it just like had this like weird, I don't want to say weird. It's not the right word, but like this weird open where it's like, Hey, you're about to listen to this record. Yeah. When you hear this, turn the page in your book. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening here? Like, and so like the whole record being like built around this like aesthetic experience which is funny seeing his other name is me uh, of like, I, I can like flip through and like see the artwork with everything. To me, that was like, I don't know if they realized this, but like, that's why I love vinyl. Yeah. And like, they were trying to like capture like that vinyl feel in a CD format with their record where it's like you experience the record tangibly while you're listening to yeah. it. So I also loved, um, so like Destination Beautiful was dope. Like Summertime yeah. is just like a, yeah. like that's just a banger of a song. It's so good. Yeah. I, hated his voice at first i'll just be very honest i just yeah. did not like dave's voice and i heard it enough places where like it started to grow on me and now i really like it a lot like i yeah. really I, I think they're really great um i saw them they played the bad christian festival two years ago uh they, okay. they came and did a bunch of stuff and it was really fun to be able to see them again and do all that but yeah. definitely in may uh I have a lot of good memories with them, but they just didn't they, like, there's so many bands like this is yeah, where it's, it's like, tough. there's no yeah. right or wrong because yeah. it's like, personally, this band was like a thing for me. So like, that's why they rank up on the list. So I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. May would have been one of the ones if I had like a top 15, they would have made it for sure. Yeah. All right, so number six. This was like, I originally had it a tie, but that's kind of cheating. So I'm just going to have to pick. It was between Wake Up Screaming and Burnout from Slick Shoes oh. for my number six. And I'm going to go Wake Up Screaming because I do kind of lean a little bit more poppy, especially at the time. So I feel like between those two albums, Slick Shoes made a pretty big intentional shift where Burnout is sort of that technical uh, kind of skate punk, not dissimilar to Craig's brother. Where Wake Up Screaming, they went a little bit more pop punk. And I remember there's a song Angel on... Uh -huh. on, on uh, it starts off with that, that bass line. And I think, I think that was like on an early mixtape I may have made my wife when we were like dating back in the day. So oh, Wake so Up Screaming will always have a special place. But I appreciated Slick Shoes because I just felt like they were, they, they were so accessible. 
they were yeah. a great entry point for people who may not have been into the scene. You could slide them a, the, a Slick Shoes record and it doesn't matter what their taste in music is. There's that instant kind of appeal because they're just really savvy songwriters when it comes to their pop sensibilities. Which is crazy because like, I mean, when they started like that Rusty record they put out, um, Ryan was like 14 years old. Like they're yeah. literally 14. Um, Jackson, their guitar player is just incredible. Like he is so unbelievably good. Joe, their drummer is like, yeah. I, like my best friend and I got to see Slick Shoes. This is, this is, unbelievable that this even happened, but we drove up to Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. Um, and we got to watch him play. They were, they were doing like this. They came up to Canada for a little bit on their way to go over to New York as a part of their tour. And we watched him at this dive bar. And there was like, maybe like literally maybe 15 people there. And this was during like angel had, had or uh, that record wake up screaming had already yeah. come out. And so I talked to the guys afterwards and they were like, Hey, do you want to, because like they did, hardly anybody was there and they're like, this yeah. was like such a waste. Like it was, we were just trying to find a show in between places. And yeah. so like, lucky for us, we got to watch slick shoes in front of 15 people, yeah. like real slick shoes, not like early slick shoes. And so that was amazing. We got to like, they were like, do you guys want to hang out? Like we got, we ordered a bunch of pizza. Like we're just going to play pool. And so like my best friend and I, like we just started talking to him and like we hung out with him for an hour after the show. And I was just like, what is happening here? Yeah. This is not how shows work. Like yeah. you go to a show, you buy some in the merch table and you leave. You don't like do this thing. So like, yeah. I remember like slick shoes will always have a, a huge place in my heart. Uh, but I'm going to disagree with you. Only because I, it's not that I don't like the poppy stuff. I just yeah. felt like their technical burnout stuff was just like so fun. Like that record yeah. just hit a little bit more home for me. But they were so so talented, so unbelievably good, and they're putting out new music now. Yeah, I saw that. It, 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 a lot of these bands, you know, a, a band I don't want to give away, but someone near the top of my list, MXBX, who I'm sure will, we, we, you can't have this conversation without you know kind of mm -hmm. talking about. Uh -huh. They yep. just le released a really cool um, kind of. Uh, stripped down acoustic album called uh, Life in Quarantine, which if people haven't checked out, speaking of so good. music, it's really it's good. so good. All right, so uh, May number seven, Slick Shoes uh, number six. I have Me Without You's Catch For Us, The Foxes at number five. This album released, I think it was 2004. And this is, this was, this is one I were like, when you first put it on, you're, you're, it, you kind of think, what is happening? Because it's Aaron Weiss, the front man, really kind of blends this spoken word sort of style of singing i it's it's not that he's not a good singer but that's no. not his delivery is more of sort of this like spoken word over this really kind of driving technical indie rock there's a very ominous feel to the whole album mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of like traditionally structured songs um you know there there aren't like hooks these there aren't these big hooks there are these like uh kind of uh, you know repetitions of some sort of uh, you know uh deep thought that that Aaron Weiss just kind of repeats. It's it's a, such an interesting and different album. It's also one that I feel like holds up really well. I've come back to Catch oh, For yeah. Us, The Foxes a lot over the years. I feel like Catch For Us, The Foxes and Brother Sister both hold up really, really well. So I... Um, me Without You was a band I so badly wanted to put on this list. I just didn't know like where to... Where to like, I, there's just not enough space. So like, 
A to B life, catch rest of the foxes and brother sister, all three of them. Like I could put on here at like eight, nine and 10. If you, yeah. if I was, if I was allowed to, but that watching Aaron, if you have never seen him, I, I remember, I'm glad that you said this because thinking back to them, I remember watching Aaron at Cornerstone uh, and he was far more eccentric back then. Uh, he he had like, they, he would carry flowers everywhere. And the stage was just like, they were all just crazy. Like he was the way that he moved on stage and his presence as a front man is not at all your prototypical front man presence, but it is mesmerizing and you cannot take your eyes off of him. Yeah. He is just so unbelievable. And the way he goes from those, those talking into screaming into singing into all of everything, like that band is an unbelievable, unbelievable band. I love Ricky too. Like their drummer, he's yeah. in a fantasy league that, that we do. Uh, uh, and it's, a, he's, he's so, they're all so good. I just, yeah. I love them. I'm glad you mentioned his like early career sort of eccentricities and how persona kind of blended to the real guy. Oh. I remember I was doing merch at a festival in Pennsylvania called Purple Door. Oh yeah, and, which was a yep. cool festival. I mean, Dave, uh, you know, Dave Azan played there and a lot of cool artists. But I was setting up in the merch area, and I had gotten there late, and you know, w- w- you know, kind of doing the whole thing. And uh, w- our booth was right next to Me Without Use, and Aaron Weiss was standing there. And I was just making chit chat, you know. I mean. Yeah. And, and at the time, uh, he, I was like, yeah, I got in late, so I'm going to set up and I got to get some food. I'm really hungry. He's like, well, I've got something for you. And he pulled out of his, his pant pocket, okay, the pocket of like his cargo pants, a, a, a barbecue sandwich, like Stop wrapped it. in a napkin. It, like, it was like body temperature, like it clearly been in there for a while. <laughs> and, and he handed it to me. And I it just, I don't even know, I don't know where he came about the barbecue sandwich. I don't know how long it's been in his pant pocket. But I thought that was a very That's cool so move. Good. Yeah, but you know, if he, but oh. Aaron, Aaron's a thoughtful guy, man. If you if anyone gets a, a chance to oh. talk to him after a show, super interesting. And he always he's always more interested in asking about you than he is talking about himself. Like he really, you know, he's just a, just an incredible dude. That whole band, and, and you know, they're also uh, you know a while ago they had converted their bus into to drive yep. on like reusable kind of uh, food oil and things like that. They're very kind of socially conscious guys. Um, but I, 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 I struggle with how, where to put them on the list, but I, I was like, man, I feel like I got to include them just because that album for me, it really kind of pushed the limits of what I thought a band could really do. You know, I, I feel like after Chris Staples, I think Aaron Weiss is probably my favorite lyricist on, on tooth and nail. And, you know, Aaron totally could give Chris a run for his money. Very different styles, totally yeah. different with the way that they write music. Um, but Aaron is such like a scholar, like the way that he writes and the way that it's so poetical. Yeah. It's so, it is just robust and bursting with imagery Yeah, in a way that's just like, you can't, you can't listen to it and not, I, I don't know how you don't like get hyped or like yeah. love. I don't know. It's just so good. So, yeah. I feel bad leaving them off the list. I'm so glad that you put them on there because I, they're a band that I love. I just, you know, 
Well, that was the same way. There's a lot of bands that you include. I'm like, man, I probably should have, but it's really hard. It's a I know, deep it's process. so hard. It's so hard. Okay, so I got May, Slick Shoes, Me Without You. Uh, like I said, my number four was Regulate the Chemicals, which you talked about. The Moon is yep. Down at number three. Yep. Uh, and so my number one and two are not on your list. Wow. And my number two, I feel like, is is maybe the most polarizing choice on my list. This is an album that either people really hated or really loved. Um, and I'm interested to see where you stand on it. It's the Juliana Theory's Emotion is Dead. Now I love the Juliana Theory. Yeah, and so this came after uh, a uh, an album, uh, Understand This is a Dream, which um, was a very classically indie rock sounding album. You know, a lot of kind of like the the jangly guitar, kind of these dark overtones, but it definitely sounded like it almost sounded like not dissimilar to like what Jimmy world was doing at the time with static prevails, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, kind of this gritty indie rock that, you know, was a little left of center in terms of, of the band sound when the emotion is dead came out. I, th- it, I it was their reaction to be sort of labeled like an emo band at the time. And, you know, it took a hard turn towards this, kind of pop rock sound that has giant hooks really they're they're doing some really interesting things throughout it there are a couple weird low points like i'm not um i'm not into the song into the dark or i'm sorry um or at the top of the world which was them sort of doing these like beach boys falsetto vocals that i just didn't feel like work but there are really into the dark's a great album don't push love away to the tune of five thousand screaming children again they were a band that were doing a lot like big choruses oh, yeah. a lot of keyboard work where do you stand or Juliana theory? Because they've had an interesting career too. Yes. You know, Brett Tatar, you know, he moved over from Zayo, like one of the hardest core bands of the era to, to kind of do this project, which is more, you know, the emotion is that is more third eye blind than it is like indie rock. Yeah where, yeah. where, where do you stand on them? I loved it. So I love this. I love this record. And, and, uh, not only, do I think that emotion is dead is probably my favorite uh, Juliana theory record, but understand the dream is over is a song that has a lot of like very personal importance to me. I, um, I remember being in basic training. So I spent six years in the air force. Um, and I remember being in basic training. It was probably like the second week and it was just like nonstop feeling like this is never going to end. But I was sitting in, chapel it was the first time that they let us go i had talked to my family like once for 30 seconds on the phone and every time that you go into basic training the idea is like listen it's a finite amount of time it's gonna suck they're making to make you feel terrible like you can't do anything right and the world is over and blah 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 but like you're gonna come out and it's gonna be awesome and i remember going to chapel and it was in the small room and they played this video for us and understand the dream is over was the background to whatever the video that was a part of it. And like, I immediately had tears streaming down my face, remembering that there was life outside of this thing that I was in. And Juliana theory in that moment, like filled me with this hope and this joy that like, I can't like describe into words with you, like the positivity and the way that like, it just gave me this renewed vigor of like, this is not everything that's going to be the rest of life. This is just a finite amount of time. You'll get through basic training and it's over. So like, that song will always be important to me at like the deepest of deep levels because of how I, how much it meant to me at that point. But I think Brett is, a, is an awesome front man, like, yeah. like front man of front men yeah. is the way that he is. He is so much fun to watch. Uh, Joshua Fiedler, who's their guitar player, I think is, is really, really good. I loved Into the Dark. I loved Understand the Dream is Over. I understand, like, if you told me this was killing me, if I told you this was killing me, it's like uh, just yeah. 
oh, it's just a banger. It's so heavy. It's, yeah. it's a great song. So, you know, these big kind of, it's funny. They are, especially when you, if you get a chance to see them live or watching any videos on YouTube, it's like a, a like mid seventies band was dropped in the middle of, yeah. of sort of the late nineties, early two thousands. And they bring some of those sort of, I hate to say like classic rock sensibilities, but like old school, they'll play a club and act like they're playing a stadium. And that's uh-huh. really cool to experience. Yep. You know, absolutely. They just look, they look and exude this like rock, like essence. Yeah. Regardless of like what era they're in, whatever they're doing, like they don't sound like classic rock to me, but they definitely like pull like from like that, like, oh, it's, yeah. they're, they're really good. I will say for the Juliana theory that I, I've only seen them twice. Okay. And both times that I saw them, I left being like, man, they just know how to do it. I, I think they played, and I've been to, as you have, I'm sure too, a ton of concerts. I think they put on the best show I've ever seen. Like really? front to back. They because they are 100 percent into it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter the crowd or the size. You feel like because sometimes you'll see a band and you're like, dude, I can tell it's late in the tour. They're trying to get through the set. They're 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 connecting. But dude, Juliana Theory leaves it all on the court every 100%. freaking show. You know, yeah, it, it, it's it. They're really fun to watch. Okay, so I was very okay. This one, I, I I put so much thought into, and I kept coming back to an album that uh, you know I, I revisited it this weekend to kind of make sure I felt confident. But, I did the same thing with all of these <laughs> records. I listened to all of them after you yeah. asked me. I told my wife she was listening to like Spotify with the kids in the car. I'm like, Dan, I'm sorry, I need to take over the family Spotify all day yesterday. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, uh, all right, this one. It, this one I feel like holds a special place in in, in a lot of people's uh, uh, you know growing up experience and you know stylistically there are some things that have aged really well. There's some things that have aged uh, that that feel very of a specific era, um, but it had such a huge impact on me because it showed uh, to me how especially in the, in this kind of genre I, I was looking for artists that I connected with not just style wise but kind of thematically. And at the time, I was listening to a lot of stuff that was like on the, like I said, sort of like the Fat Records, Epitaph Records, um, you know, a lot of kind of skate punk type of stuff. I, I really like uh, Dookie, like Green Day's album. Yep. And I discovered MXPX Life in General. So and uh, I had I had I had heard Teenage Politics and thought it was really good, but it was very unpolished. That sounded like an album that was, and it probably was recorded you know, Made in a garage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. in Seattle somewhere. And uh, Life in Journal came out, and the production quality was way elevated. The songs were really really tight, and they you know it was at the time it was so it came out in 1995. That was the same year uh, Cheshire Cat. Uh, came out from Blink-182. Oh, man. And I feel like this album actually is better than Cheshire wow. Cat in a lot of ways. Dude. I, you know, the... Uh, I, I've noted a couple songs. So, like, The Wonder Years was sort of this big evolution because it wasn't just, like, the speed drumming. It was like, oh, they're capable of some, you know, kind of interesting... They also had so I don't really love the two songs that they kind of uh, designated their singles, which was, like, Chick Magnet, which I thought was super corny and still do, and then Move to Birmingham. Uh, again, not a bad song, but, like, Today is In My Way, uh, Crystalina. There are some really interesting, cool songs that when you listen to them... 
you know, it's been 25 years now that this album came out and they're still a lot of fun to listen to. Where are you on MXPX in general? Because I don't feel like you can have the tooth and nail conversation with kind of adjudicating their, their influence, but also what your favorite album is from their catalog. So life in general would easily be my favorite record uh, from them. I think still they go in the Buffalo way. The Buffalo would be number two for me, but this record I'm like right there with you. So um, do your feet hurt was like, like I remember hearing that and being like, this is such, this is such a rad song. Like I, I came out with the exact same thing that you were thinking. We're like, Poconacho was cool. I really enjoyed it. I don't mean it. I don't mean at all in like a bad way that it sounded yeah. like it was made in a garage. It, ma- it sounded like a bunch of like 16 year olds, like got in the garage and made a record that was really dope, but it, you know, yeah. it, it was just not as polished as, as life in general was. And so I like chick magnet. Um, like it's dumb in a fun way for me. Yeah. Uh, but at the same point, like it's just got like Mike has this like swing, like 50s kind of vibe with some of the stuff that he does. Yeah. And so like that, like Move to Bremerton, I think was great. Uh, but Today's In My Way, Doing Time was my favorite song on that record. Like, yeah. I, I think what the, I'm looking at the track list right now. Uh, it, the Doing doing Time was a, a minute 23. Yeah. Uh, and it's got like two verses and two choruses and an outro and it's a minute and 23 seconds long. And it's just like, <laughs> it was perfect though. Like it was yeah. so good. And, and the way that it hit me at that time, like that record opened my eyes to so many different things where it was like, it was tight. It was polished. It was like intense, but at the same time they were able to have fun like, and, and like watching them live, like they put on such a fun show watching yeah. Mike, like run around the stage with his bass. Mike, that was the first band that I ever looked at and cared what gear they were using. Yeah. Cause yeah. like Mike's like big Ampeg, like 810 SVP cab. Yeah, and then he had the Stingray bass. Yeah. Um, that was like, I was never like into gear like that before. And I saw his guitar and I was like, oh, that's rad. And he had yeah. the same guitar in different colors, but it was always the same. And I was like, this is cool. If I ever get a bass, I'm totally getting one of those. Yeah. So, uh, they like MXPX literally started my entire tooth and nail journey. Like I feel like a bad human being leaving them off of my top seven because yeah. without them, none of those other songs exist. Like yeah. Mike and everything. He um, hit me up on Twitter. Like shortly after I had taken over the fantasy focus football podcast, I think I replied to something that he had tweeted. Um, and he, and he made a, a mention about listening to the podcast and, oh, okay. um, and he said, and, and he, I think he finished, the tweet would put it on the board, which like, if you listen to the podcast is a thing yeah. that like you get. And like in that moment, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I cannot <laughs> believe that Mike listens to the podcast that I've yeah. Like this is, I grew up like he was so influential in my life. So like, yeah. it was such a, a cool moment, but MXPX is like, feels like they are, there is no tooth and nail without MXPX. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I made them number one. They might not be the album. Like I recommend to people the most or sure. the one that I go sure. back to the most, but it was certainly the one, like you said, without my experience with this album, I don't know how I don't know what my context would be for all of these other bands. And yeah. you know, I still when I was when I was playing it back uh, this weekend when uh, on the opening track, middle name, where I still I'll still see you tomorrow at the show. Like it still like gives me chills. Like man, oh. this album. There was a point in my life where this album meant a whole lot to me. You know, yeah. It just felt like. And I remember waiting outside, waiting in line to go see MXPX, like at venues and stuff. There was just a really great energy. And they're a band that, like I said, I come back to from time to time uh, because they, they're a band that they really understood the power of simplicity, where a lot of yeah. these other bands understand how compelling complexity can be. MXPX was always very comfortable leaning into 
the the kind of simple structure that makes some of their songs so memorable. Um, yeah, it was a tough choice, but like it, it was life in general and MXBX was the starting point for this whole journey. And so uh, for me, they are, it probably, it probably is my favorite album of it, because it was the first step on this discovery of music. That's just meant a whole lot over the years. Yeah. Did you ever get into any of the Cootie stuff or any Arthur stuff? A, a, a little bit. Um, I, I I didn't mind it, you know, but I felt like by the time that was coming out, I was already kind of on to a lot of other bands. What about Some of the you? Next what, stuff. What, what's your experience with Mike's other stuff? I loved the Cooties. Like, it was fun. It, it just sort of felt like MXPX, like, repurposed a little bit. Yeah. Um, just, like, didn't bother me at all. Like, it was just fun, and I thought it was cool. Um, Arthur... And I don't even know if Arthur was put out on Tooth and Nail or if it was put on a, on a different label. But it was just like a. I really liked that from from Mike. It was a a thing that I feel like didn't. There was a five song EP that I really enjoyed. I forget the name of it. I, I can't remember the name. But um, it was just like not punk rock from him. Yeah. It was it was still though like his songwriting. Like you could feel the intensity, and mm-hmm. it was just I don't know. It was cool. It was cool being able to, like that's the thing. I like MXPX. I feel like started so many people like they are like the baseline for so many uh, of the bands that we listen to where it's like, even if they didn't listen to them or they don't, don't love them, like they all started, like we started, yeah. you know, yeah. we're like that. They were the, I felt like no offense to any other band that was on tooth and nail, but like they were like the first big band that kind of like did a whole bunch of stuff that like brought all of these other people in, um, you know, and kind of hit the mainstream because of the blink 182 and the no effects. And like, they kind of, they were like, for me, the first like crossover band from yeah. what I felt like my, you know, genre was into the secular market. And it's like, this is exactly what I want. I just yeah. want my music to sound like normal music. Yeah. I don't want it to sound like a, a Christian thing. Just sound yeah. like music, dude. Yeah. And so like MXPX was the first thing that was like that. And I, I yeah. like, oh, it was so great. And that was the other fun thing about going to their shows. They would always tour with kind of unexpected artists or they would play yeah. warp tour and you could see them with a lot of bands. Well, Daniel, this was this was a blast, man. It, it, it was a tough decision. I feel like you wrestled with it just as much as I did. Oh, like it's it was so it, hard. Yeah, it's it's like I love all my children. You know, I yes, can't exactly. I can't rank them. But but that's sort of the fun of the show. Daniel, listen, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm sure you get this in. I'm sure every conversation that that you have, especially this time of year, ends with it's <laughs> <laughs> with someone asking you a fantasy football question. Yeah. I'll keep it okay. You get number one overall pick. Are you going Saquon or or, or McCaffrey? I'm taking CMC. Okay. Yep. Just because of, uh, of his uh, passing ab- uh, catching? Yes, his pass catching ability. The idea that he is like the de facto, like I get that Saquon is also the guy there. Yeah. Um, but like the workload that CMC gets is just unreal. And the idea that uh, I feel like they're going to have to utilize him a lot, a lot, a yeah. lot. Um, they utilize Saquon a lot in the passing game, but not CMC. Like, yeah, I think, um, and I, I hope I'm quoting this strat, stat right. But uh, if you took away all of Christian McCaffrey's rushing yeah. for last year, he would have been wide receiver twelve. Oh wow! On the season, yeah. And so, like, that's without any rushing stuff at all. That's just yeah. as a pass catcher. So, like, 
you know, add in the ability that he's a running back on top of that. And not just like a pretty good running back, like a top five easy running back. Like yeah. it's, it's a no brainer for me. Like CMC is totally the guy. All he's right. just far and away. By the way, I want to say one more thing. I didn't, I wasn't able to get this record on there, but uh, Albatross by the classic crime is another record that like I was, yes. I really loved. It was really good for me. And that kind of like started the shift into like some Seattle, like indie rock kind of stuff for yeah. me. Um, I think Matt McDonald is a really good songwriter. I've always looked up to him and I think he's, he's done a really great job with it, but just one more record. I like, I could, I wish I could say all of them. Yeah, I will yeah. never have enough time, but I just, I wanted to mention that real quick. Okay. How about this one more? What is your favorite album that's come out in the last two years? Any genre, any label that if, if you were like, if you were to tell people, Hey, go check this out. What, what, what would it, what would it be? I know it's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say a couple things in my head. Okay. Um, so Manchester's latest record uh, was unbelievable. Um, David Bazan and T.W. Walsh uh, and, and the guy from Starflyer, uh, they have a band called Low Tom. Okay. Uh, Low Tom is unreal. It is really, really good. Phoebe Bridgers just had a new record yeah. come out called Punisher. That is just unbelievable. I love Phoebe. Like she is... Phoebe Bridgers and Julie... I discovered Julian Baker uh, through, through a buddy of mine and like her and both Phoebe and Julian Baker are just, yeah, I can't get enough of them. Yeah. And, so, and, and uh, speaking of Phoebe uh, Bridgers, you know, I know she does a lot of collaborations uh, with uh, Connor Oberst and yep. Bright Eyes. Just Bright Eyes out, just came know. out with a new record. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One more, I, I need one more take before we go from you. Okay. Bring uh, it. Bring it. All right. The new Taylor Swift record, Folklore. What, you know, I, this is her, you know, kind of foregoing the pop thing and, you know, we've got the national on there, Jack Antonoff. Uh, what is, what's your take on, uh, you know, Bon Iver, what's, what's your folklore take? Um, so I have not listened to Taylor Swift at all. Okay. I know zero uh, Taylor uh, Swift songs. Out of, out of principle or, or, uh, just it, not in your rotation. It's just not in my rotation and for no other reason than, um, like I'll, she's a phenomenal songwriter. Otherwise yeah. she wouldn't be so popular. Like she obviously is doing stuff, right? It's just not the thing that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, it just, when I sit down and I think like, I want to put on a record, uh, she's just not the person that I'd rather put on a foxing record or I'd let yeah. her rather put on, you know, thrice or, or, you know, I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of bands. Like there's so many good bands out yeah. there nowadays that it's like tough. Like Noah Gunderson, like I, I'm, I'm staring yeah. at his record in front of me right now. Oh, you talk love her. Like, oh, so good, so, oh, dude. I mean that that whole. Uh, I mean front to back, but like Robin Williams is. I yeah. mean, it's probably it's. I think it's the best written song I've heard in maybe a year and a half, two years. I will say that uh, Noah Gunderson and Phoebe, uh, Phoebe Bridgers doing uh, the Killer in the Sound. Yeah. I don't know if you have seen on YouTube. They do a stripped down piano version that they recorded live to tape uh, with with Noah and Abby, his sister, on both on the piano and Phoebe singing. And they changed the songs. And if you've never seen it, you have to go on and watch "The Killer in the Sound" by Phoebe Bridgers and Noah Gunderson because it is just it wrecks me every time. Oh, it's yeah. so beautiful, yeah. so unbelievably beautiful. Well, I'm I'm in. I'm going to check it out, Daniel. This was fun, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, buddy. Anytime you want to talk about this, you let me know. This or football, I'm always here. But oh, thank hey. you so much. I'm gonna, I'll take you up on it, man. I, I, I love it. I appreciate this. Thank you for everything. And man, I hope you have an awesome, awesome week. And, uh, you know, good luck with the football season. All right. Thanks, buddy.
All right, that's it. That is it for today's bonus episode of Listed. I hope you have an awesome Labor Day weekend. Hope you're rocking some good tunes. And hey, if you have guests or topics you want to see, be sure to hit me up at, on Twitter at Jesse Carey. And special thanks to my guest, Daniel Dopp. You can follow him on Twitter at Daniel Dopp. All right, that's it for this bonus episode of Listed on the Ironclad Content Network. We'll see you later next week.